the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> the, uh, hey, you know what? I just heard the, the announcer talk about my website, BullingtonCapital.com. It has changed, so if you'd like to go check that out, that's kind of cool. And uh, so we just had a seminar, and I want to thank everybody who came out for that because it was really nice. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming out <clears throat> in, uh, on a Thursday evening when you have so many other things that you could be doing. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of pick up uh, a little bit on where we had uh, left off at that seminar for today. Because we were talking about how trade disputes might affect your investments, and uh, particularly about the taxes that were being levied. And so uh, just from a very basic standpoint, the, the taxes, first of all, as a percentage of, of our output GDP, uh, were pretty small. Actually, they're very small. But when you look at it, you know, the, the numbers seem really large. It's because, you know, you have a 20-plus trillion dollar economy. And yeah, you take a, a half of 1% of that, that's a pretty big number. But it's still a half of 1%. Think about that for a second. So it makes for really good headlines. I don't think it's nearly as damaging as as the news media would lead you to believe. I'm, I'm sure it's not. I should probably thank those guys because they keep me employed, by the way. The uh, <clears throat> people getting incredibly upset over this. Things are actually very good. Now, you had a tax cut, by the way. So you had an income tax cut. And it did benefit higher tax uh, payers more than it did people who don't pay a whole lot in taxes. So one of the ways to make up for a tax cut is to start taxing imports <laughs> and to start and, and calling it, you know, it's a, it's a trade war. You guys have been cheating. Well, actually, what's really complicated about this whole thing is that's actually a little bit true. There's a little bit of truth to most things, actually. But that's a little bit true. Here's the deal, though. The taxes are going to affect the general population more than they will rich people. And so what happens is, you know, you're getting some tax revenue back for the tax cuts that you just gave. The tax cuts that you gave benefited people that have really high incomes. So the middle and, and lower income levels uh, we're not getting nearly the break. And then you raise taxes on things that the lower and middle income people 
spend more money on than rich people do. <laughs> that is, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, uh, wow. So anyway, and there's, there should have been uh, something done about it, but how's that going to affect your investments? Well, actually, if it, it could cause rates to continue to go down, it could. Because if you're going to raise taxes on items that your average consumer is, is buying, that means more money is going towards those products as they're still buying them, which gives them less money to spend on other things. Less money to save, uh, less money to buy groceries, um, pay uh, natural gas bills, you know, electric bills. So they may cut back. In other areas, and if they cut back, then and that's what we've been—that's what they've been talking about. There might be a recession because the, of these taxes. Well, first of all, the taxes are relatively small when you look at the grand scheme of things. It's not a large percentage of the gross domestic product. That's basically the output of the U.S. economy. And uh, so, I, I don't think it would have a a huge, tremendous impact. And, and none of the economists that I like a lot. Uh, are saying that's going to have a really big impact. Um, could it, is it going to have some impact? Yes, absolutely. Uh, is it going to, going to cause the next great recession? Nobody knows. Uh, it's unlikely. But what it is likely to do is to drive interest rates even lower than they are today, which is really, you know, that's now we're talking about getting back to where they were several years ago after we were trying to recover from one of the worst stock market slides you know, outside of the depression that, that we'd experienced. And if they put interest rates back at those levels, it, it actually will be good for stocks and it will be good for bonds. It's good for the stock market and the bond market temporarily you know, until that changes. How long is it going to last? I don't know. Nobody really does, but probably more than a year. Um, and if you're really worried about that kind of stuff, then uh, you should call me. I can show you in more detail if you decided to come into the office and take advantage of the, the free no-cost meetings we have. Uh, I am getting pretty fooled up, by the way, and uh, so that's it, uh, it might be a week or two from now. Actually, it will be probably two weeks at this point in time because this is our busiest time of year. The, uh, from now until December, uh, we are cranking <laughs> in my office. We have to be. Most of my clients are older and they have to take uh, distributions. That's a uh, kind of a big deal. Taking distributions from your um, investment accounts each year because you, you know, you're required to take those now. Those have to be calculated. We need to get those correct. We, uh, yeah, we work a lot with a lot of accountants and there's a lot of back and forth. I'm going, I really, I really feel bad for Gary and Melissa. Those are the, uh, my, my partners there because uh, those guys are ones that are doing all the paperwork and, and, going back and forth and uh, I'm trying to keep appointments up to keep reviews up. Uh, most people like to review either in the fourth quarter or the first quarter, which is uh, kind of interesting. And that means uh, two quarters out of the year, very difficult for us. Yeah. But well, you know, we like, it. it's not really that difficult. Um, in fact, the, the stories don't really change all that much because our story is a comprehensive one. You know, people ask me all the time, well, are you, Putting more money in stocks today? Not really. I have a, a balance that I like to keep. 
If the stocks go down, I'll sell some of my bonds and buy stocks. Okay. If stocks go way up, I may end up taking money out of it, which I've done. I actually did that. I forget. It's probably about 18 months ago. Had a pretty good run. You take money out of the uh, stock and, and put it back in bonds. So, uh, uh, and then I reversed that and market came down 20% or so. Oh, time to reverse. Yeah. But, you know, I'm only doing that on an annual basis anyway. I look at it once a year. And it really doesn't matter when those things occur. It's when I'm going to rebalance that I'm really kind of worried about. Yeah, I just look at it once a year, once every other year. Come in. If I've got too much in stocks, I'll put it in bonds. You know what happens to cause me to have too much in stocks? They go up. Think about that for a second. If you've got a lot of money in stocks and they go way up, okay, and you're going to rebalance your portfolio, that means now... My bond portion, which is the safer portion, is smaller than it was supposed to be based on my tolerance for a decline. My tolerance for a decline is about 40%. That's my tolerance. That's Bill Bullington's tolerance. So I can be up to 80% in stock. If my balance is 70-30, that's because the stock market's gone down. Like a lot. (laughs) So if it's uh, if the stock market's gone down, I'll sell some of the bonds and add it to the stock portion. If it gets up to 85 or 87 or 90 because stock market has done very well and I haven't rebalanced for a while, well, I'm going to take some of those profits out of the stocks and put them over in the bonds. So I don't have to know what the market's going to do in advance. That's a big deal. All I really have to know is what I'm going to do, which is based on how much risk I'm willing to take. That's what it's based on. How much risk, how much of a decline am I willing to set through to try to reach my long-term goals? What are those long-term goals, by the way? A lot of people uh, don't really have them. Let me give you a couple shortcuts. Long-term goals. Let's say you're struggling. How much money do I need to be able to retire? Well, the easy one, the one that's generally accepted today, anyway, by most financial planners, is take 75% of your current income, and you could live on that without having to cut back drastically on your lifestyle. So whatever you're making today, take 75% of it. Just multiply it by 0.75. By the way, I did remember to bring the calculators, thankfully, for the seminar. I gave them out, and then I didn't have time to uh, go through a lot of the calculations. (laughs) So here's one that I'm going to give you right now. Take your current income, multiply it by 0.75. Okay. History teaches us that you could probably get by on 75% of your income without having to take too big of a a haircut on your lifestyle. So now from that number, you want to take out whatever you're going to be getting from Social Security because you don't have to uh, generate that. You'll be getting it in a monthly check, deposit in your bank account, more than likely. And uh, so what you really need to finance is the difference, is the gap. The gap between whatever you're going to get from Social Security or maybe you have a pension where you work. Uh, it's the gap that you need to finance. And now that ca- calculation, if you're young, if, you, if you're more than five years away from retirement, that can get a little bit hairy. That, that's one of those things where we'd actually have to get together. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to bore you with the details of trying to do that on the radio. That would be horrendous. <laughs> so anyway, if, if you're uh, more than five or ten years away, then you know that's something where you kind of have to sit down with somebody and kind of take a look at it. Um, or not, you know, a lot of people can do this on their own if you'd like to. 
we have YouTube now. We can do anything on our own. <laughs> and I will be putting up some uh, YouTube videos. In fact, I think today we're, we're recording this show. Uh, show's being recorded, and it will be uploaded eventually to one of the websites that I have up. Uh, I have uh, Bullington Capital Management. If you want to go there now, contact us. If you have any questions, you hear something you'd like to ask questions on, feel free. The other website we've been talking about for a long time, it's been, actually there have been several versions of it out over the years. Uh, we're getting ready to relaunch. It's called Look Out for the Bull. And it's designed for a very specific style of investment management. It's called momentum investing. It's a very specific style. We'll talk more about it a little bit later in the show. In fact, we'll probably talk about it on almost every show because the educational value of learning how to manage a momentum portfolio, I think, is irreplaceable. I don't think there's anything that you can do that will make, give you a better understanding of how the stock market works than being involved. Even if you never trade a single share or never buy or invest in a single share of a, an individual company at all, you can still learn about it and it will help you as an investor. So there are two parts to this that, that thing. It's actually more educational, mostly educational. And then the email portion of it is where we're going to update the list <clears throat> on a daily basis for every stock that came up on our momentum scans. Now, occasionally I'll make a comment, uh, probably more than, uh, uh, not more than once a week. And I'm, uh, I'm playing with the idea of monitoring the momentum model that I have that I'm running with real money and just updating it over the weekend uh, so that I don't get accused of, of front running. <laughs> so if I tell you what I've done two or three days after the fact, then I'm a lot safer that way. Uh, if I try to tell you right before I do it, that's not good. The uh, So I'm kind of like uh, Kramer does his stuff, you know, for his charitable trust, but uh, he holds, you know, gazillions worth of stocks in there and he's guys, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's, you know, not that big a deal. Um, and because it's actually educational and, you know, I'm not putting a ton of money in it either. I think I have 15% of my, um, uh, assets and, and I'm going to, uh, probably recommend that most of you do the same thing. It is not safe to put a tremendous amount of your money into a momentum fund, uh, account, especially if you're new, if you're new to investing, you do not want to do that. If you're new to investing, you're probably going to watch. You're probably going to want to keep a spreadsheet, keep a uh, a list of the stocks and the prices uh, when you would have purchased them, and uh, when you would have sold them, and uh, kind of just do that on paper for a while. And if you you get to the point where you've got, well, I'd say you're probably going to have to have about twenty thousand. Um, yeah, you could probably do it with ten thousand. Yeah, you could do it with ten. So if you get ten thousand dollars and Remember, this is aggressive money. Uh, it's money that uh, you shouldn't be doing unless you've actually been, you really understand the process very well, which, you know, just stay tuned because we'll be explaining that over and over. Uh, it's one of those things like, you know, it's like any competitive activity. If, you, uh, if you've ever played golf, if you've ever went bowling, you've ever done anything where you're competing and keeping score, You've had to learn how to do it. When you first start learning how to do it, you're probably not as good as you are after you've done it about a hundred times. And it's the same. It's a skill. You're just going to pick it up. Uh, you don't have to have quite as much skill for this one, by the way. 
you don't have to have any uh, skill, quite frankly. You can just follow the rules and you should be okay. So I'm really glad to finally be getting that up. Uh, I run these scans. I run a little bit of money this way. It's been an unbelievably helpful learning experience to me. Uh, When I see what's going on, you're staying closer to the market, so you're much more comfortable with what's going on. I'm extremely comfortable with what we see right now. With what you see right now in the stock market, I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. I look at stocks valuations. They're not overly high. It depends on the industry, but the vast majority are not overly high. A lot of stocks that have been underperforming for the past four or five years are starting to come back to life again. That's good. That's a good thing. Because uh, you don't want to see one category just running away with a whole thing because eventually that will crash. Remember the year 2000? March? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember watching it run like crazy and thinking, this is unsustainable. You just can't keep doing this. And like Alan Greenspan was really, really, really early on that. He was calling it, uh, um, I forgot what he said, irrational exuberance. Yes, 1996. So those irrationally exuberant stocks stayed irrationally exuberant for four more years. And you know what? That's actually how the market works. It, that is, you're not, he was right in saying what he said. He just didn't realize at the time, I think, that, uh, you know, it might just keep going. I'm sure he didn't, you know, or he would have said something else to, you know, uh, would have had a disclaimer the way I disclaim everything. <laughs> Check into this. Don't believe me. <laughs> Google it. Don't believe anybody. You know, just Google it. But right now, I think the, you know, back when he was saying that, what he was talking about was, uh, you know, valuations were slightly ahead of where they should be. And interest rates were actually, you know, you could get a uh, 6% CD back then. If you looked real hard, 5 or 6% CDs. Not like today. Uh, so, and if you look at that, the alternatives paying 5 or 6% guaranteed by the, you know, FDIC and your bank, that was pretty good. And he was right. Stocks were a little overpriced. But now that I hear the music, it means I got to take a real quick commercial break. Listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. Hey, if you'd like to call in today, number is 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. You can reach me at bill at bullingtoncapital.com through email. And you can go to my website, Bullington Capital. You can click on a contact us link there. If you have questions you'd like to ask, don't want to talk on the radio, I understand completely. Uh, if you'd like to take advantage of a free uh, get-to-know-you meeting, feel free to email us there as well. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of, talking about a lot of things, primarily the uh, Lookout for the Bull website that's launching here fairly shortly. And uh, um, one of the other things I, I kind of wanted to keep touching on because we were talking about this last night and, you know, there's so much negative news out there and, and it, they keep talking about market declines and recessions and how long it's been since we had a recession. And that's true. Um, but you know what else is true? 
that the recovery was one of the slowest recoveries we'd ever had. So nothing is ever exactly the same. And the stock market and the economy does not know what a calendar is. They have no idea of knowing what a calendar is. So when you're looking at a calendar, trying to figure out when the next recession is going to come, good luck with that. If you're looking at economic activity, that has not showed up. The the slowdown that you're expecting with a recession have not shown up yet. So it goes back to this concept that I think that a lot of people would, would be very well served to understand and recognize and, and, and try to internalize is stay present. Stay present. Take a look at what's happening right now. You really don't have to worry about the past because the past is over. There's nothing you can do with it. You don't have to worry about the future because it's not here yet. Planning for the future is fine. Knowing what the tendencies have been over extremely long time periods, that that's actually helpful. Knowing where we are relative to what those things are, it's helpful. So that's staying present. Right now, stocks are actually not overpriced. They're not. If you look at the earnings yields, look at the price to sales ratios, you look at interest rates being as low as they are, stocks are pretty good. Even the ones that have been running up a lot over the past five or six years, because now they're actually flat over the last 18 months. They're up a little bit, not a, not a ton. Um, especially if you take out the top five here, I'm just going to show you just uh, when I'm talking about this, I typically know what I'm talking about more often than not. <laughs> it's S and P 500. You go back to 2018, right at the beginning of the year. And market's only up 4.73 since then. Every time the market makes another new high, by the way, which it, uh, I think it did on Friday, everybody goes, market's at an all-time new high. Well, great. That's 4.8% over the last 18 months. <laughs> it, it's still good. And by the way, you had two corrections in there. Uh, one was over 10%. One was 20. Actually, had. let me check that out exactly because... First correction you had back in 2018, that was a pretty good one. In one month, was down 12%. Then you go to the end of 2018, uh, right around October, or November rather, where it peaked out. And by January, it was down 19.95. That's a 20%, you know, 19.95 is almost a 20% drop. Then you go from uh, May up into June. 2019 at seven and a half goes up, makes another new high. Um, let's see what date is that? I can't see. Don't get old people. <laughs> so July 30th and it comes down 7%, 6.81 actually over the next couple of weeks. And now it's bounced up from there. So, you know what my point is? Um, one of my points is behind this. None of those were predictable. The, it wasn't just not predictable. Markets slightly, the, actually, the S&P 50, because if you take out the other stocks, they're actually starting to come around now, by the way. Uh, it's been four or five years that the small mid-cap stocks have not been keeping up. They have been, the last, oh, probably eight months or so, they've been moving a lot faster. So that's a good thing. So if you've got that in your portfolio, that's awesome. If you've had it in your portfolio for a while, you feel much better now. 
if you've uh, had it in there, you're also feeling really bad up until this year <laughs> because they were lagging, you know, and that's what happens. And that's how markets behave. If you could predict this, and by the way, you don't need to predict, If you could, but if you could predict it, it'd be great. You'd be a multi-billionaire, no problem. Warren Buffett would be asking you for tips. Yeah, but since you can't predict it, I would just give it up. You don't really need to. You can take a look at where we are right now. Is it, uh, are you going to get rich quick? No, that's actually the goal is to try to keep up with inflation and taxes and make a little bit of money. That's called a real return. The real return is actually just inflation, but uh, I just threw the taxes in there. (laughs) That would be nice if you could make a return above what inflation and taxes are going to be, and you can average that over a long time period, that's a good, that's a good goal. That gives you, that keeps up your purchasing power, meaning inflation is rising, but so is your income. That's a good, that's a big goal. That's a tough goal to to keep up with, by the way. And it's going to be pretty much dictated by how much fluctuation that you're willing to see in your accounts. The good news is, it's a lot easier to kind of get an, an idea of how much fluctuation you're going to experience in your accounts. All you have to do is send me a snapshot of your portfolio. I can tell you, um, if you want a detailed analysis, which we do, it's uh kind of expensive. I think it's 500 bucks. We will take all of your holdings, put all your holdings together, put them in a, uh, uh, in a model or actually in some of the software that we have, it'll show you what your true diversification level is and we can easily determine how much risk you're taking by doing that. I guess that's probably one of the, the spooky parts of what I do. Um, when people are looking at how much risk they're taking, a lot of people don't know because they, actually they don't have that software. They, how could you know? Yeah. You could listen to my show a little bit and just take some generalities and say, well, if I'm in a diverse, if I'm in funds, exchange traded funds or other type of mutual funds or mutual funds rather. If the market's down like it was in 2008, 2009 started in November of 2007. Actually, if you're mid and small cap, it started in April of 2007. Emerging markets was in 2007. The declines were really, really, really large. So let's just round them off and say, you know, they were typically cut in half. Some of them were a little bit more than that. So if you use that, that was a really bad time period. It was a really bad time period. And so if you use that, that that as your measure of what could potentially happen, so everything I've got in stock could be cut in half, and I don't want to see my portfolio down by more than 30% because I think I'd have trouble sleeping, great. All we have to do is double the 30%. That gives me 60%. Now I've got 60% of my money in diversified stocks, and the market gets cut in half. I'm only going to be down 30%. Am I going to be happy? No, but I won't be losing sleep and all other things being equal, we should be able to recover. This is where it gets really important, by the way. When you're starting to take money out and you're, you're literally liquidating some of your retirement savings each month to live on, to supplement your income, you got more than 60 or 70% of your money in stocks that means you're only going to have 30 or 40% in the safer stuff, which is where you probably should be taking your distributions from. So if you've got, uh, if you have that, 
then you've got a pretty good time period where you don't have to touch your stocks and you can let them recover. How cool is that? That all the really fancy stuff that I read, all the fancy software I have, this is how I actually came to this conclusion, looking at how markets have behaved over the years. You got to have something to kind of give yourself a measure. Standard fluctuation or standard deviation that falls way short. When you hear people talking about that, the, you know, the standard fluctuation of the stock market is only 16% a year. Really, how come it was down 50% twice in one 10-year time period? And you know what their answer is? Oh, well, that rarely happens. Yeah, but how many times does it have to happen? Does it have to happen in your lifetime? You know, <laughs> uh, these guys hate me, by the way. Modern portfolio theorists, they, they hate me. Because I'm pointing this out. <laughs> uh, yeah, you think you're only taking a 16% risk and it ends up being 50. Yeah, that's not good. So that's actually one of the reasons I uh, uh, I named the other website that we have, Look Out for the Bull. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that just is not helpful. In fact, a lot of it's pretty dangerous. And I want to shine a light on all that stuff. Because it'll make you a better investor. You'll be a better investor. And you know what? With interest rates as low as they are now, you have got to become a better investor. You don't have any choices anymore. You think about it. I think, I can't verify this because I wasn't there. But I read a, I read this on more than one website. But I'm going to preface this every time by saying, I was not there. I didn't hear Trump say this. I, I can't verify for sure that this is what was said. But if he's calling for uh, negative interest rates the way that some websites were reporting, that would actually be good for stocks. It'd be good for bonds. And I guess I should be cheering for that. Yeah, let's do that because it'll send stocks up. It'll send bonds up. And guess what most of the money I invest in is invested in? Stocks and bonds. <laughs> it would be a great thing. But then what? You know. So I'm not going to worry about it right now because, first of all, it's not happening. Secondly, it may happen. And if it does happen, it's actually going to bump up my net worth somewhat. But I'm really not going to worry about that tremendously because it hasn't happened yet but if it does happen at some point in time i'll probably i will probably raise some cash i'll actually put my money in something that is super liquid even if i end up having to pay somebody to keep it the way they do in europe but that's a long way out anyway i gotta take a quick phone call if you'd like to call in 216-901-0945 216-901-0945 and i got uh jimmy is that was that right yeah, yeah. How you doing, Bill? Good. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, um, I'd like to talk to you today about a uh, word, D-E-B-T, debt. Yep. And I read an article a while back about the uh, top indebted companies in the, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I went down the list and it really surprised me. I look at AT&T, $191 million yeah. <laughs> I debt. know. Followed yeah. by Ford with one hundred fifty nine billion, uh, Verizon one hundred thirty six billion, mm-hmm. Apple Computer a hundred billion. Apple, hang on a second, yeah. I got to check that one because uh, Apple generally doesn't have a tremendous amount of debt. 
and I'm going to pull up their financial statement right now. And here's the balance sheet. The um, let's see. So, cash and short-term uh, investments in Apple are 96 billion right now. Let's see liabilities. Total current liabilities, uh, 89 billion. Let's see total long-term liabilities, 136 billion. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's interesting. So 136 billion, but if you take 136 billion and you've got total current assets of 134.5 or nine, uh, that's cash and things that be con- that can be converted into cash in 90 days. So you know you, if they basically they're in good shape because they've got a lot of cash. One and this is what kills me about somebody who gets a degree in journalism and then starts writing on finance. They ought to make them take some finance financial classes. <laughs> they wrote that out because it's incendiary. It gets people upset. Apple's got how much debt? Uh, yeah, you didn't talk about how much cash they have. <laughs> or the value of all the patents that Apple has. Or the processes that they have that nobody knows about. Or you know, a lot of the other assets that they have. So there's a, there's an, a number of other things there. Whoever wrote that article... Uh, if it were me, I'd uh, take them out behind the shed, you know, wear them out, <laughs> make sure they didn't do that again. But I, the uh, AT&T and Verizon, that stuff, they, yeah, they, they have a, a mountain of debt. That is, the, uh, that is pretty scary. That, that's pretty scary. What are they doing with this money? Well, they're trying to uh, – have you heard of 5G? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're trying to uh, – Stay current. 5G is the next technology. It's going to replace cable. It's going to replace a uh, cell phones. Uh, it's going to replace an awful lot of stuff. The Internet of Things is going to run on it right next to your cell phone calls. And uh, they are spending money to try to develop that and keep up. Now, you know, these companies have made acquisitions over the years, big acquisitions. And all those acquisitions, you know, they're, they've been trying to pay down debt that they assumed to take on those businesses, and now they're having to change again. I would hate to be in their shoes. They, you know how much change that is? That it, That is mind-boggling. Verizon's got this little device, which they're all going to have, by the way. You put a little device in your house, and everything you have that hooks up to the Internet, you're streaming cable television um actually you know what jimmy did you want to hang on for a second because i got to take a real quick commercial break oh okay we'll do bill okay thank you very much and you're listening to bill bullington i'll be back after these messages behold our glorious victor And we're back. Hey, Jimmy, you still there? Oh, uh, yeah, Bill. I'm still here. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at that just during the commercial break. And, uh, yeah, AT&T's got a boatload of debt. <laughs> um, Apple's got a lot of debt, too, but they have a lot of cash. So when you sap- subtract out that uh, cash from the debt, it's, it's really not that consequential, uh, at least not now. But here's the thing about both those companies. Those are both based on technology. Uh, 
AT&T is you know, basically a service provider. So is Apple, actually. They have iTunes and a whole bunch of other stuff. But the, uh, um, the technologies that they invest in change pretty rapidly. And uh, Apple's coming out with a new iPhone. Boy, you should see that thing. Holy cow. That is, that is mind-boggling. But anyway, that is a, uh, in my book, that, that's a really risky thing. So I wouldn't invest directly into those stocks unless they came up on one of my momentum scans. And then I probably wouldn't do AT&T because it's so big, it, it hardly ever will make a really big, long run in a relatively short time period. Apple, on the other hand, might. Uh, so I wouldn't invest in those directly as an individual investor. I, a lot of the funds that I invest in have those stocks in them anyway. And they're not going to be uh, big enough that if they really do poorly, that it would make a big difference in that fund. And so I feel relatively uh, safe doing that. Uh, and But I wouldn't, those are not stocks that I would say, you know, I got to take some money out and put some money in those stocks because uh, I know them too well. I know the industries too well, and I know it's really, really tough. And there are a lot of other companies that are easier than those anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, but uh, I really, I, I, you know, going forward, I have a small amount of money I put into to some stocks. That whole look out for the bull website thing, we're going to uh, start doing an informal meeting. It's, it'll even be a club. You don't you don't even have to subscribe to it or anything to uh, to be able to go to that kind of stuff. But we'll take a look at uh, stocks like that uh, in uh, and try to go a little bit more in detail. But both of those stocks, I know, I know they are in uh, several of the funds that I hold. So I'm not really that worried about it. I know enough personally about the companies to know that your guess is is at least as good as mine is. And I've been doing this for over 30 years. <laughs> so what does that tell you? Yeah, I guess my concern, Bill, is that um, they're using some of this debt to buy back their stock and uh, jack up their share price. And that's going to happen. They've been doing that some time now. Yeah, they can do that. And that's my concern. I mean, that part is about to come to an end here. Well, see, I, I think what you're trying to predict there, though, is uh, it's just so hard. It's so difficult. Uh, Warren Buffett's got this uh, file folder that he has a label, and it's or it's a, I forget what they call it. It holds files, paper files. And on it, it says, too hard. <laughs> and those are all the things that, you know, when he's reading it, he puts in that, that file there, just it kind of forgets about it. Those don't, those companies are big. They're recognizable names because they've, they've done a whole lot of really good things in the long run. They're too complicated now for, I I don't think anybody can really get their arms around what's going on at those companies. I really don't believe that. I don't believe anybody knows what's going to happen to where AT&T and Apple are going to be five years from now or 10 years from now. And, uh, it's not like Hershey's who's still going to be making chocolate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Hershey's yep. is still going to be making chocolate. AT&T, who knows what services they're going to be providing? Who knows what the Apple products are going to look like 10 years from now? But you know what I know for sure? That produ- providing the types of services and products that both of those firms provide are extremely expensive. Extremely expensive. That's why they have so much debt. Yep. I'm not, I'm just not interested. I got other money. They'll be in other money as long as they meet certain financial criteria. 
It's going to be included in some of the funds that I hold. So I'm not going to worry about those personally. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste any time, effort, or energy trying to figure it out because I think it's a waste of time. I think it, mm-hmm. they've already got representation inside my portfolio. And the stocks that I want to hold personally, that I want to pick, they got to have a lot more going for them than that. Like a lot more. Right. So, right. But, uh, but I do appreciate the call. I hope that was helpful. And uh, you, know, you can um, call back in or if you have other questions, uh, go ahead and ask. All right, Bill. Uh, thanks so very much today. All right. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, you too. Yeah, you know, I know that's that's really when you've seen a company that's been around for a long time, there's a lot of comfort in that. Um, but if you look at the long-term charts on companies, you'll uh, start to get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, because that's just kind of how stocks are. You know, it's, I'm telling you that basically they're stocks. So I look at AT and T. AT and T was forty-two dollars back in 2016. It's at thirty-seven now. Well, it's paid a dividend. Yeah, it's paid a little bit of dividend. Yeah, that's okay. If I go back to uh, 2013, it was 36.75. 2013, it's 2019 now. It's 37.91. You know, that's I'm not that. That's why I don't do that outside of the funds that already hold that stock. Is AT and T in one of my portfolios? Yep. Actually, I know two of them that it's in there, and it doesn't amount to much more than a half to three quarters of a percent of the portfolio. That way, if it does pretty well, awesome. That way, if it doesn't do so well, no problem. Yeah, it's not going to end my financial life. Yeah, I think you could probably find a lot uh, easier things to try to figure out than where AT&T or Apple might be, you know, five or ten years from now. And when I go back and I look at uh, a super long-term chart of AT&T, actually AT&T sold at this same price when you adjust it for any split that's occurred. It sold at this same price in 1998. What year is it again? I don't want to, I really don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, looking at a stock like that. I mean, it's just, they're too hard. They're just too hard. And, uh, I know that upsets people because they, they'd really like you to, to know. And, you know, I'd really like to know that the, the Browns were going to go undefeated for the rest of the season and, and win the Super Bowl like everybody was talking about. They might have a chance to. Um, I would not invest money in that <laughs> the uh, i love the browns by the way um i think you know I, I love all the the uh sports teams in cleveland it's great it's just that you want to separate uh, or why would you want to spend much time trying to figure out something that really is it, the, the chances of you figuring it out are not that great uh, you know when i was talking about hershey's I, I didn't mean to go out and buy hershey's by the way hershey's has also had Multiple years on here. I'm looking at Hershey's 1998, got to 3662, and it took it to 2004 uh, to move up past that point and stay above that. Well, actually, no, I came back. Holy cow! So if I go Hershey's 1998, it reached the price level that it was back at at 2008 after having been up a lot, and that's Hershey's. <laughs> If that can happen to Hershey's, it can happen to just about anything. And a lot of the funds that I'm in hold that stock. I know they do, but here's what happens. When Hershey's stock price goes up in a lot of the funds that I'm holding, the, uh, they'll actually start to reduce the shares. When it starts to go down, they'll actually increase their holdings. And isn't that neat? And by the way, even if they're not doing it, I am. 
That's that's called the magic of rebalancing. Rebalance your portfolio. What are you doing? Something that's just gone up a lot, you're actually taking some of the profits off the table, moving them over to something else. Okay. Uh, if the share price were to go down, you'd actually be taking mon- that money back and, and investing it there just by the sheer fact that you're going in and rebalancing your portfolio. In fact, one of the uh, vendors that I use, BlackRock, it's a uh, six, they're the largest asset manager on the planet. And they show you a little illustration of the difference between balancing your portfolio and not rebalancing your portfolio in retirement. Makes a big difference. Over a one, two, three, even a four or five year time period, it may not make any difference at all. In fact, it may cost you money, at least a little bit, but it could cost you a lot. It depends on what the market does. But in the long run, it's the common sense thing to do. And eventually it's had a tendency to work out really well and to help you reach your retirement goals. So it's called rebalancing, not uh, looking into the crystal ball and making accurate predictions. You're just doing this because you know in the long run it's done very well. You know why it's done well? By the way, I'm surprised people are not as familiar with why stocks do well as, as, you know, as what happens. And the reason that Hershey's, by the way, today is at 148. And if you bought it in 1998, reinvested all your dividends at 35 bucks, you're probably happy. <laughs> Despite the fact that you had a, 10-year time period where it actually ended up back where it started, it was ahead of itself. It was absolutely ahead of itself in the late 90s. was not worth what people were paying for it. And that's what happens. When a stock gets overvalued and it's a good company, you find yourself not making a lot of money on it for sometimes 10 years or longer, and it's a good company. It's still a good company. still very profitable. Heck, I eat enough chocolate to keep Hershey's in business by myself. <laughs> I am I am addicted to that stuff. The uh, but you know you hang in there long enough. If you pay attention to the valuation, rebalance your portfolio. I hear the music. That means the show is over. Anyway, thanks for listening again today. I'm here every Saturday morning from eleven to noon. My name is Bill Bullington, BullingtonCapital.com. If you want to learn more about me, have a good week, everybody. Good luck. And good investing. just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.